0: at a synod leadership conference some years ago, back when I served in the Indiana Kentucky Senate, the bishop dusted off a question that I found out later was often posed by the late Billy Graham. Set aside the fact that you're all rostered ministers for a second. Imagine for a second that you're a member of a congregation and that like everyone else, you're not being paid to be there. Further imagine that tomorrow, Christianity was outlawed. You've been arrested for being a Christian. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now you might respond as I did when I first heard it. What a dumb question. After all, we meet every week publicly to worship. We gather to hear the word of God and to receive Christ in the Lord's Supper, and our services are open to the public, it wouldn't be too hard to have one's attendance noted every week. And if this weren't enough, the name Christian is given by God alone in baptism. The Lord is the final judge of whether we are Christ-followers, not any other authority. But the bishop is getting at an important point. God indeed makes us Christians. So what? How do we live our lives? Would our friends, neighbors, and coworkers say we follow Jesus Christ? Would our leisure time show any evidence of a Christian life outside of Sunday morning? How about our bank balance? Would there be any evidence of Christ following there? Or our activity on social media? What makes our lives as followers of Christ different from the lives of anyone else. Leviticus has a term for this difference. Holiness. And when you think of holiness, several things might come to mind. You might think of moral purity. You might think of particular people, like Mother Teresa. You might think of holiness as an overwhelming experience of God. But holiness... Simply means to be set apart. When God is called holy, it means that God is radically different from anything else. God is not a being among beings. God is not even the highest being. God is so utterly transcendent, so utterly, so wholly other from our understanding that if it wasn't, if it weren't for God's self-revelation, we would have no way. To know God but it isn't just God who is called holy. God's people are also called to be holy. Leviticus 19:2 says "You shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy So what does that mean? the people obviously can't be utterly transcendent as God is. there is only one creator and people are creatures after all but they are called to be different. They are called to be set apart for the Lord. They are called to be wholly devoted to God. And God sets his people apart by coming to them in love for the sake of creating, redeeming, and sanctifying life. God sets his people apart by coming to them in love for the sake of creating, redeeming, and sanctifying life. A holy people is a people joined to the Lord in union with God for the sake of God's mission to redeem the world. And certain things are required of a holy people, of a people who have such a mission. They are to practice justice in their interpersonal affairs, which you hear about in verses 9 to 18. Leave something for the poor and immigrant. Don't think about do they deserve it or not, Or am I encouraging something or not? No, it's just leave something for the poor and immigrant. There are no exceptions here. Don't break faith with a kinsman. Don't show partiality. These practices of holy justice are summed up in verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. course, the process of becoming holy, of being set apart for God's mission, doesn't just happen magically. The Old Testament is an account of God's work in setting apart a particular people for the work of God, and it is not easy. God spends all kinds of time and effort in communicating to that people just what kind of God He is. And just what he expects of them, and what happens? They complain. They rail against their leaders. They're so anxious when Moses is on top on top of Sinai with the Lord that they get Aaron to make them a golden calf. And to top it off, when they get to the edge of the promised land, when they're just about to go in, they receive a report of the land's inhabitants that frightened them so badly that they began to choose a back-to-Egypt committee. Time and time again, the people fail to uphold God's call for them to be holy as God is holy. They would rather be like anyone else. And if we're tempted to think that we would be any different, just imagine what it would be like to be in the desert, away from the only life you've ever known, no reliable sources of food and water, you're threatened by your enemies, how long would it take for you to start complaining? I would be complaining. Just saying, I would be complaining. And yet, despite all the complaining and the fact that they don't get it and they don't understand and they don't seem to change and nothing seems to happen, God is merciful. God never abandons his people, but continues the hammering process of making people holy, as C.S. Lewis calls it. God is determined to be in relationship with his people for the sake of God's mission to redeem the world. And this mission culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. When the legal expert asks Jesus, which commandment is first of all? Jesus doesn't just make something up. Jesus draws on two commands to love. Love of God from Deuteronomy and love of neighbor from our reading in Leviticus. And this love isn't to be identified with just a feeling. It's far more than a feeling. It's far more than admiration. Love in Scripture is always active. The love of holiness is far more about what someone does than about what someone says. Jesus himself embodies that love perfectly. After all, Jesus could have just embarked on the same kind of career that many in his time embarked upon, a wandering teacher and healer. He could have just talked about God's love and God's holiness and healed a few people here and there. He could have avoided the wrath of the authorities. He didn't have to go to Jerusalem. He didn't have to go to the cross. But that would mean that God's holy love would remain an abstraction for Gentiles like us. Jesus is God's holiness. God's otherness, God's radical love embodied. And as such, it is active. Jesus crosses the infinite gulf between creator and creature to make us different from the sinful creatures we know, to form us in the image of Christ. Jesus crosses the gulf to make us holy, to make us a redeemed, saved, sanctified people. Holy devoted to God for the sake of the world God loves. The love we practice as Christians has skin. It is embodied. It is active. So I return to the question I began with, but in a slightly different form. As people made holy by God in Christ, what evidence is there in our lives for that holiness? For that radical love we've been shown. Let's be people who take God's call to be different, to be holy, seriously. Because in our difference, we may show the love of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.